0: Welcome to Beating the Drum, a podcast about the art and science of customer advocacy. Every company dreams about having customers that will sing their praises, and on this show, we'll explore just how to make that happen. I'm your host, Margot Leong, and for nearly a decade, I've helped create, nurture, and mobilize customer evangelists for B2B and B2C. On this episode, I was joined by Christina Prudent, Senior Customer Marketing Manager at Full Story. Previously, she worked in customer marketing at companies like TalkDesk and Nice in Contact, but also spent some time in customer success, an experience which has deeply influenced her current approach to advocacy and customer engagement. We talk about how customer marketing can align with customer success, developing relationships with customers in our new remote world, and the importance of active listening in building rapport. If you're interested in fantasy or mythology, I also highly recommend her podcast, Enchanted Ink, which explores the lore behind and inspired by young adult books like Harry Potter, A Wrinkle in Time, and The Chronicles of Narnia. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Christina. Hey, Christina. So excited to have you uh, on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really psyched to talk to you. I've been looking forward to it all week. <laughs>
0: Same here. I think full disclosure, this is a Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. We're both nerding out over customer advocacy on a Friday night. There's nothing more that I would rather do. (laughs) Okay. So, what I would love, Christina, is can you give us the 30,000 foot view of your career background and your trajectory into customer marketing and advocacy?
1: Sure thing. Yeah. I have been in the SaaS world for the past almost six years now, primarily in customer marketing. However, I did have some little stints here and there in other roles. So it's very much a winding path to where I've ended up now. I spent about a year and a half as a technical account manager. I spent a year as an events and channel marketing manager back in 2014, 2015, and really just started my career as a marketing admin at a commercial real estate firm. So yeah, just lots of twists and turns, but have definitely made a space for myself within customer references and customer marketing.
0: I think it was really interesting when you mentioned your path has been a winding path. And I actually think, you know, looking at the diverse array of podcast guests we've had on, I think a lot of people have also had winding paths.
1: I had a leader in my previous company that really comforted me when I was feeling insecure about my resume, about my career path. And Essentially, what she told me is that it's perfectly okay for your career to look like a jungle gym rather than a ladder. There's nothing weird about me not having a linear path from references coordinator to now customer marketing senior manager. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing to gain experience in so many other areas of marketing. And so I've really taken that with me. It was a huge comfort to me when I was feeling like I may have done something wrong. I love
0: that. I personally very much subscribe to, to that notion as well. That brings me to my next question, which is what do you enjoy the most about this work? What keeps bringing you back to this area of advocacy and customer marketing? For
1: me, it's definitely the relationship building. It really doesn't matter what the product is, what the company does. When you're in customer marketing, you have the opportunity not only to listen to the customer, but to also communicate, forge those relationships, have those conversations. Even in the other roles that I was in, I've always been customer facing. I've always wanted to have the opportunity to get into the weeds and hear how the company can provide the most value to our users.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a a perfect segue into one of the topics that I really wanted to focus on for this conversation, which is around your time spent as a a TAM or a technical account manager. So Mm -hmm. I think, first off, I would love to hear about that story. How did (laughs) you end up in this role, which is quite different than a marketing role?
1: It is. It is. And for context, in this particular company, as a technical account manager, it's very much similar to what a customer success manager would be in any other organization. So there is certainly some technical troubleshooting involved, but it was very much a customer support, customer success role where I was the key point of contact between the user and the organization. And so really developing the relationship and understanding their business, their use case to determine ways to really optimize their use of the product, share best practices, and make sure that they're getting the most value for all of the different teams that are using the tech. And in terms of how I ended up there, it was pretty interesting interesting. I was in the customer references role for almost three years when the company that I was with got acquired Mm -hmm. and they had really their own marketing org. So everyone on our side was starting to be pivoted toward digital marketing. And that happens to be one of the only roles in marketing that I've never really taken to So I think I mentioned earlier, I happened to be in Atlanta and we lost an account manager in the Southeast region. And because of my references, experience and relationships, the manager of the accounts team was like, hey, you already know a lot of these customers know and like, (laughs) and you happen to be in region. So we'd be happy to have you pivot over to this team. And I was very excited to do it because when you're on the marketing team, and I think particularly in SaaS, but possibly for really any company that you're working at, when you're on the marketing team, you understand the messaging. You understand what the product is supposed to do and how it's supposed to work in theory and what you're telling people it does. But you're not getting in there and working with the tech. You're not getting in the weeds and understanding the nuances. And so I was very excited to explore the more technical aspects of It was contact center software at the time. I really wanted to understand, okay, how do you port over 1-800 numbers and how do you handle this reporting and things? So it was a great experience for me and it really helped me understand CX. It helped me understand what they go through, how their relationships with the customer are completely different from a marketing relationship.
0: I love this. I came from a customer support background and I think that it's probably one of the things that has influenced me the most deeply in terms Mm -hmm. of how I think about the customer relationship. I know that you were previously on the references side and you had those relationships, right? But of course, the type of role being within marketing is gonna be very different than being within more of a CX role. So talk to me about that transition for you. Yeah,
1: so the relationships that you build as a reference manager have the potential to be a lot more surface level, a lot more superficial than the relationships that you're expected to build as a customer support person. Because on the references side, you're really just kind of schmoozing, keeping the customer happy, offering them opportunities for thought leadership and the glamorous things. Whereas in the CX org, it is the good, the bad, and the ugly. If there's an issue, you're expected to troubleshoot it or find someone who will, you You are right there with the customer every step of the way. And that really opened my eyes. When you're in customer marketing and you're just looking for a speaker or a reference here and there, sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to understand when you go to the account holder and you say, hey, I'd love to speak to this person. And they let you know that it's not a good time or there's an issue with the account and it would be best not to ask right now. It took me stepping into that role to understand why some of these relationships are so protected in the way that they are. We need to remember in customer marketing that anything the customer is doing for us is essentially a favor. No matter what we offer them in return, they don't work for us. So they are using their time to advocate and evangelize for your company, formally and informally. And as a customer support person, as a TAM CSM, whatever the case may be, you need to balance that give and take in a different way from a reference manager and really be the gatekeeper and say, hey, we're asking a lot of them without giving them enough in return or addressing their needs with the product and things like that. So it was very much an eye-opener for me. It was a much deeper relationship with the customer than I had previously in references. And I took that with me into my next customer marketing role and got a little bit more, I don't want to say personal, but definitely more of a deeper relationship with the customers than I had
0: in the past. I recently interviewed Cynthia Hester, who runs customer advocacy and customer marketing for Google Cloud. And she said exactly the same thing, right? These customers don't work for you. And look at their business card, right? Does it say, (laughs) does it say like your company name on it? Or does it say their company name on it? I think it really behooves us to always keep that in mind. You know, we understand it at one level, which is that we have to protect our customers' time on that sort of next level down they are doing us a favor, mm-hmm. right? All of this is being done either on work time or on their personal time. I remember working with customers within Influitive and you know, this guy would put his kids to bed and then go hang out in our communities in Influitive afterwards, <laughs> or put together slide decks for us so they could present for us as a customer. Every customer marketer can speak to that level and, and depth of relationship. I really just want to to, to emphasize what you're saying there, which is that empathy for the customer, especially in the face of a lot of other stakeholders coming to you, especially given that you had that CX background, how do you put up a stop sign when it comes to those organizations or departments within the company that are saying, hey, what about that customer? Can you get me a customer for this? This customer looks good. Like, right. how you think about that. <laughs> that happens all the time, right?
1: It definitely does. Of course, as a reference manager, customer marketing manager, you're always keeping an eye on and managing the different touch points with any particular account. But when I say that being on the CX side completely changed my perspective, you have to think about the fact too that a lot of customers will do things out of a weird sense of almost obligation, they might volunteer to do one or two reference activities here and there. And then the more that you ask them, the more that they feel kind of compelled to say yes. But as the account manager, CSM, TAM, whatever, and then me taking that experience and applying it to customer marketing management now... You really have to be cognizant and be very aware of the idea that just because they might say yes, doesn't mean it's a good idea to ask. You don't want to burn the goodwill of the customer. You don't want to ask some of these asks in bad faith. So for me, it's really about keeping meticulous notes, staying on top of everything that you're doing and making sure as an organization that any customer requests are being funneled through you in one way or another. One thing that I always tell the sales team during my initial training with them is that I am not a cop. I'm not here to completely gatekeep their relationships with the accounts that they've sold in the past, but we want to make sure as a company that the right hand knows what the left hand is doing. It would be a terrible experience for the customer to get a request from me on Monday, a request from product for a a beta program on Thursday, and then a request from sales the next day after that. So it's really about internal communication as much as it is understanding the relationship with the customer. You need to make sure that everyone else within the organization knows that you are the point person when it comes to customer touch points so that you can keep an eye on things and maybe pivot them in another direction. Oftentimes, sales has the tendency to kind of fixate on the marquee names and the big customers, the ones that they know are the happiest. And so they say, oh, we need a big retailer and we have to use Mm -hmm. X big box store, every time we want to speak to a big retailer. And it's like, no, we actually have several. Thankfully, I have relationships with all of them. And we're going to speak with someone different this time and give the other company a little bit of a break.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's a theme sort of emerging here. You have so much pressure from other departments, but Mm -hmm. they're all thinking short-term. I need a customer yesterday. (laughs) I need a customer in two months for this thing, right? But you know, what you're really doing is thinking really long-term, right? Which is how do I make sure that this customer doesn't get burned out? How do I make sure that this relationship and that goodwill continues to be cultivated over time? I'm sure in sort of a CS role, Like the longevity is partly what you're measured on too.
1: It's very important to communicate that to leadership up front Mm. because I've been in both situations, right? So I've had leadership that fully understands that and would give me a lot of latitude to make the decisions on who exactly we were asking for different opportunities and references. And then I've also had leadership that says, no, it's not a big deal. Just ask them if they don't want to do it, they'll say no. And I'm like... Correct, but the problem is that you're going to upset them. I'll give you the perfect example. I absolutely adore Taco Bell. However, if Taco Bell was calling me once a week to talk to other people about how much I love Taco Bell and how great their tacos are, ultimately I'd be like, yo, leave me alone. (laughs) Like ask someone else for once. Yes, so. but
0: but would you get to be a thought leader on Taco Bell and <laughs> like speak at conferences about Taco Bell? I'm totally joking, but I would yeah. I would
1: build my entire LinkedIn <laughs> around my presentations on the freshness of their lettuce compared to Del Taco and the softness of their tortillas compared to the McDonald's breakfast wraps.
0: Oh my gosh. Like I know I'm like getting really hungry. <laughs> I think this is a really good point that you made. What I've had to deal with when it comes to senior leadership at times is exactly the same thing. Is like, just make the ask. And then was the ask made? And like, when are you going to follow up on the ask? I think it's even in doing the ask that mm-hmm. makes me nervous because it shows that I'm not being considerate of your time, right?
1: Yeah, completely. And so that is one thing that I'm very, very serious about. As a customer marketing manager, I, I tend to put my foot down when I feel that one particular account or one group of accounts is being asked too much. I always say no. Tell me exactly what your criteria is. You want this vertical with this integration at this size. I will find you another three customers that fit the bill that are not them.
0: You're really trying to figure out what's the actual first principles question that you have here. I'm sure we can find another solution. I find that works really well.
1: That's one uh, thing that I I require too in my reference requests. I always tell the salespeople what exactly is the question that we're trying to answer. We should not just be offering references as a proof point. That's what all of our content from top of funnel all the way down to that step right before references. We have a million other proof points. There needs to be a specific question that they want to hear from the mouth of a user. The way that I tend to explain it to leadership is that in my mind, references are not meant to move an opportunity through the sales cycle. They're meant to close opportunities. So you're not really engaging a customer reference until that decision point where they're just doing their due diligence and pretty much ready to sign on the dotted line, but they want to speak to a user and understand some of the nitty gritty. Anything prior to that, that's what we have our content for. Our webinars our one-to-many assets and things where... We might have customers speaking and we might have quotables, but you're not actually taking up anyone's time for a deal that's not close to closing, for a deal that might fall apart on something as simple as price.
0: Yeah. Exactly. I think what has been really interesting uh, about the conversation so far is that we're getting a really good lens on the customer and how to protect that customer experience. I'd love to use this time to get the lens on customer success. For example, what is the day-to-day like for someone working in a success role? So
1: for me, the day-to-day was primarily coaching. I would meet with customers when they signed on and made it through onboarding implementation. And I would ask them, and at the beginning of each quarter, what are your business goals as a whole for the quarter? And what are your goals in terms of leveraging the technology? And once I had that knowledge, I spent a lot of my time, a lot of our weekly sessions, walking them through different best practices, reporting tips and tricks, things that might help them along their roadmap. So that was the bulk of it. But then, of course, there's a lot of emergency situations, a lot of putting out fires, dealing with outages, maybe there's a billing issue. So handling all of those things on a daily basis, and then I'm getting a request coming in saying, oh, we would like this person to be a speaker at this conference or this event, webinar, reference call, what have you. I need to look at the account holistically, right? I need to make sure that they are happy first and foremost. And when you're dealing with SaaS, when you're dealing with software in general, I think everyone, including the customer, understands that things are not going to be perfect 100% of the time, but you want to make sure that they trust you. They need to trust that even though things may go wrong, you're going to resolve it as quickly as possible to the best of your ability. So that's really the first thing that I look at, the overall health of the account and whether there's anything going on? Are there any tickets in right now? If so, have we responded quickly? Has it been resolved? Is it a good time to ask? Are they in the middle of a renewal cycle? Because if they are, then maybe we don't want to come to them asking for something that they may want, you know, a discount or some other concession in return that we're not prepared to offer. So it's very much a a juggling act. It's very much understanding the individual personalities of the contacts within the account, the overall health of the account, and where we are kind of in their roadmap, in their process. Because sometimes you get requests for a specific account that may not even be mature enough to handle the request that's coming their way. Maybe we have someone else with a more intricate use case that can speak more intelligently to this topic. So yeah, just a lot of moving parts.
0: I can imagine. I think that's really helpful, right? The more that we can step into the shoes of departments that we work with the most and understand what's on their plate and the day to day, then we as customer marketers can better tailor our requests. You know, you have to have more sympathy for what other people are going through versus Mm -hmm. just thinking, right, okay, this is the middle person to get to (laughs) a customer basically.
1: It's also about understanding your contacts as well. You might have a really marquee brand name company with an interesting use case, but your primary contact there might not be an engaging speaker or they might not be the type of personality that is interested in thought leadership and things like that. So you're also quarterbacking the requests in that way and understanding that there's going to be certain asks that don't fit with your contact at that company. And either you need to try to get in touch with the right person and develop a new relationship there or pivot to a different organization within your reference pool.
0: How do you think that we as customer marketers, how can we better partner with success? Yeah, I think the name
1: of the game is really alignment. As you're developing your quarterly goals, I always recommend speaking to CS or CX leadership and understanding what their goals are for their accounts, their customers. All of the requests should really be coming through the customer marketing person, but as the customer marketing person. I always defer to the account manager before I make a touch point. Even when I was three years in at the same company and I had deep relationships with pretty much all of my reference customers, just a quick Slack message, a quick check-in. Hey, I'm about to ask X customer to do something. We good? Because the customer success person is always going to be the main touch point, at least in the organizations that I've worked at. So they're going to know if there are any last minute issues or things that have popped up that if I go and and make a request of the customer would make us look inconsiderate. So it's about alignment. It's about trust. And it's about really having that open line of communication between yourself and the CX team so that you're always on the same page and everyone is aware of what is being asked of the customer, how often, things like that.
0: I think that is super important because sometimes it can be easy to think, okay, you know, let me just cut out the middle person for this one time, you know, and maybe it won't be a big deal. But I do think that from an internal trust standpoint, being very intentional about that can be very important. Really, there's no downside.
1: <laughs> there's no downside to always <laughs> CCing your account manager or sending them a quick ping to say, hey, I've got this coming down the pipeline, FYI. They'll always tell you if, if it's a bad idea. Everybody wins.
0: I'd love to get a better understanding of what customer success is typically measured on, right? What are their goals? How can we think about how customer marketing can help to align to those?
1: For the teams that I've worked with and been on, the primary goal is, is retention, So of course, as we're talking about protecting those relationships and not burning out the customer, not burning the goodwill, every single person in the company is responsible for referenceability. Every time the customer interacts with someone from your company, it's your responsibility to make sure that they're having a positive experience we're also talking about cross-sell, upsell, expansion, Mm -hmm. things like that. That is not so much in the wheelhouse of the customer marketer, but that's when you get into the other aspects of the role, not just references. Now we're talking about customer campaigns and customer communications, and you're supporting the goals of CX in that way by raising awareness and engagement with the customers. If there's a new feature or a new product, you're the one that's really amplifying that, making sure that they hear about it, producing the blurb in the customer newsletter, or maybe an email campaign around it, things like that, and just helping them gain that increased engagement. It's certainly very strategic, especially when you think about engaging customers on the persona level. So you might look to your executive level customer contacts for things like speaking at a conference or joining the customer advisory board, whereas you're looking at more of that in the weeds type type of user manager engineering level for things like the reference calls or a quick quotable for a blog post or something like that. And so it's not just about customer communication. It's not just about references. It's about being strategic in the way that you combine those things and the way that you engage the customer at all.
0: I really enjoyed hearing your lens on this from that CS standpoint. What I wanted to pivot into is a pretty different area, but I think one that is incredibly important, especially in the midst of where we are now as a society, right? We're about seven months into to COVID-19, which has profoundly already changed the nature of work. There's so many of us who are all working remotely now. And we really miss that in-person ability to build those in-depth relationships with customers. And so you have personally worked remotely, I think, for about the past six years. So I think it would be really interesting to hear about what your experience has been like building customer relationships when you're remote.
1: It's interesting because I've been getting that question a lot lately because so many people (laughs) are having to work from home and not getting those face-to-face meetings and touch points. It's going to sound weird, but stay with me. I think that the biggest key for me, building relationships with customers remotely, is in a sense, voice acting. Again, I know that that sounds funny, but the reason (laughs) I...
0: <laughs> I, I I think I mean it, it's you have I mean I, I know you have your own podcast. you have an incredible command of your voice.
1: Yeah, well, so the thing is about COVID is that with things like Zoom and before that Skype, video calling is a lot more common. It's a lot more prevalent. But prior to that, it was available, but a lot of people weren't comfortable being on camera, didn't always have webcams. So you're just really on the phone. I spent so much of my career on the phone. And when I say voice acting, I am by no means encouraging you to be fake with your customers, but you have to understand that they can't see you a lot of the time. They can only hear you. So you're having to convey a lot of expression and a lot of inflection and things like that with your voice. You need to sound enthusiastic, like you're happy to speak to them. You want to sound interested, practice active listening. That's something that I learned very quickly on the job. And it's so important. Now we have the video Aspect. and i am a huge believer in that i try to get on camera as much as i can because it is easier. Yes, you still want to make sure that you're sounding engaged, but it's better to look at the person and have them see that smile on your face and maybe their dog running by in the background or a baby toddling around. Business is business, right? Anybody can have a transactional conversation, but when you can see the other person, when something relatable happens and you tell them that their dog is super cute and you've always wanted a golden retreat retriever and things like that, it lightens the mood. It makes it easier to connect and and relate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because from a work standpoint, being able to see into other people's houses, it brings that relatability aspect a lot more in the past when you were working with customers sometimes you really would have to maybe ask around do you have kids do you have a dog right and with working with customers now it's like i can see all these things i can pick up on some clues around maybe what would be good gifts right like things that they're passionate about personally they're right there in the background for you to talk about and it maybe even gives you more of that ability to connect with someone
1: I I think it definitely does. I can't tell you how many customers I've bonded with over the fact that in my office, I have a bookshelf right behind my desk and they can see my extensive fantasy collection, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, all Mm. of that. (laughs) And they always comment on it and it turns into a great icebreaker, a great talking point. So all of that to say, even when you're not on camera, I guarantee you, The best thing that's ever happened to me was learning how to modulate my voice, learning how to engage just over the telephone and actively listen.
0: How would you define active listening? And what are some examples or what sort of success have you seen here? (laughs) Oh, gosh, I'm not a networking
1: coach. I will probably be parroting back a lot of the same advice and feedback that you get Mm -hmm. in preliminary business training. To me, active listening, it's a lot of things like making sure that you learn the person's name and use it often, that's the first thing. And then it's easy to zone out when you're on the phone all day. Active listening means hearing what they're saying, occasionally repeating it back, And a lot of this is actually prevalent in conflict resolution type of workshops and things, but a lot of I statements when you're repeating things back to them. So, okay, what I'm hearing you say is X, Y, Z. My understanding is that this is where you would like to go with this. Is that correct? So they know that you're listening, paying attention, hearing them, and it doesn't leave a lot of room for miscommunication when you speak in that way. What other advice can I give around active listening? I like to crack jokes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I
1: really like to crack jokes. So if someone says something that I can pick up on and turn it into a silly little quip, I never miss an opportunity. I am the (laughs) punniest
0: person I know. In a lot of ways with customer marketing, we are sort of thrown into a situation with a customer where we have to build rapport very quickly. And so there's all these tricks and tactics that we can use. It's really just a way to help the customer feel more bonded with us as quickly as possible because at the end of the day, right, we're building deeper relationships, but we may not have necessarily had the luxury of being on the success side, getting to build those deep relationships over time. So what can you do to make this customer feel at ease? i worked in the IT space previously, and I think a lot of times IT is a bit weary when it comes to thinking about marketing, like what are these marketers like? They kind of come across a certain way or, or whatever. And I think that trying to lighten the mood with humor and also show that you can roll with the punches, that you can lighten things up a lot. At the end of the day, how we build those deeper connections with the customers is being authentically yourself, actually.
1: I'd have to say that the best professional advice that I've ever gotten is to try to be the person that makes everyone in the room feel like somebody.
0: You're making them feel like the most important person. That's how people are going to remember you. Drawing on your experience, having worked remotely, what would be really interesting to hear about is a lot of us are new to working remotely on a full-time basis. I would love to hear some tips that you have for remote working that have worked for you in the past.
1: The most valuable advice that I can give is to develop a routine it's very easy to just roll out of bed and show up at the computer and sit there all day into the evening because you don't have to travel. You don't have to commute. Having that routine just makes you feel like a person. Wake up a little bit earlier than you need to. Take a walk, take a shower, and then go sit at the computer, have your morning, and take a defined lunch break whether that's leaving the apartment or the house or not, whether that's sitting down and watching some television. But I find that a lot of people have the tendency to just work 24 seven now because you can. So just having some separation, if you can have your office space in a different room than you typically hang out in on your own time, I absolutely recommend that. I've had it both ways. I've had previous apartments where my office was my dining room and I'd find myself sitting down working at 8.30 p.m. Now that I have a separate office, it has done wonders for my work-life balance.
0: I definitely will raise my hand around not setting those defined breaks. Mm -hmm. I haven't actually eaten anything all day, (laughs) you know, because I just sit down at basically my couch desk and that's it. I'll just, (laughs) I'll look up and it'll be 5, 6 p.m. (laughs) Are you pretty defined about these are my hours? And then after that, I'm shutting off. I try to set
1: pretty rigid boundaries. For example, I have Slack on my phone, but I go on Do Not Disturb every day around 6.30, 7 p.m. Because, of course, you want to still check in after your set hours. Business does not stop right at five o'clock. Maybe you'll check your email or if someone has a quick slack that they want to send you, you're free to take care of that. But after a certain time, you want to have your evening. You want to be able to live your life and, and have that balance. So I do set boundaries around that. I try not to do any work or check my emails on the weekends you know, just protect your energy. (laughs) It's so easy to burn yourself out very quickly when you're at home a lot of the time, and you're not really working at home right now, you're living where you work. So if you look at it that way, and keep that in mind, it's very important to set boundaries and make sure that you are taking time for yourself and your loved ones.
0: You know, I think this is a perfect place to wrap up. Christina, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. I have picked up quite a few tips myself and some good (laughs) reminders actually around the active listening piece, some of those tactics there. Last question, of course, is if our listeners would like to connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. And if you are interested in mythology or fantasy yes. or any of those things, I do have a, a website and a podcast called Enchanted Inc. So if you go to www.enchantedincpodcast.com, You can message me there or on social media at Enchanted Ink Podcast. Facebook, Instagram, all of that good stuff.
0: I'm absolutely going to link to your podcast in the show notes as well so people can check it out. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. I so enjoyed this conversation and being able to just, as you said, geek out about customer advocacy with someone as enthusiastic as I am.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Beating the Drum. For more interviews with advocacy leaders and tips on creating customers that will sing your praises, head on over to our website, beatingthedrum.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us. If you know someone that would be a great fit for the show, I would love to hear about it. You can reach out at beatingthedrum.com. Take care, everybody.